0: Well, I got into music in grade seven, I believe. And it was sort of out of a really funny motive. I wanted to learn piano because I wanted to play Happy Birthday to this cute girl I had a crush on. So I went to our music teacher back then, Mr. Fraser, and said, hi, can you teach me how to play Happy Birthday? And he said, sure. Can you come in at, I think, 7.30 every morning? So I went in every morning at 7.30, and he came in and started teaching me piano for free, which was really, really super nice. Never taught me Happy Birthday. He started teaching me how to sight read and scales and gave me little pieces. And I um, gravitated to it, loved it, and uh, learned happy birthday myself. Didn't even play for the girl.
1: This is So What Are You? I don't have just one culture. So even if you say you're born here, where are you actually from? He's not even speaking, Pato. So I know what that is. How do I recover?
0: Make the food.
1: Why aren't you curious? Why doesn't anyone want to know? a six-part series that explores our complex relationships to our cultural identities. I'm Melissa Houghton. In this episode, we'll hear more about how my family ended up in Canada, my dad's childhood here in Toronto, and how his upbringing informed me and my brother's relationship to our Jamaican heritage growing up. The voice you heard at the start of this episode was my dad's. His name is Everett Houghton. The piano music you just heard is also courtesy of him, a sound that was pretty much present all the time in my life growing up. I decided to interview my dad one late afternoon at his house in Mississauga, around 30 minutes west of Toronto, where I grew up. One of the reasons I decided to even do this project was because the older I get, the more I want to know who I am. I mean, join the club, right? That's why there are ancestry.com commercials everywhere but it just felt like something that I needed to do and more importantly needed to record. More than anything the title of the series serves as some form of motivation for me. The opportunity to explore identity from a personal perspective. Getting away from what we're always told that we are. I'm becoming increasingly focused on learning the stories of my people to whatever extent I can find them these days. I've lost a lot of elders in my family. My mom, my god father, uncle Brown, and actually all of my grandparents, all but one of whom I've never met. So it feels like a responsibility to make sure I don't take the stories of those that are here for granted, starting with my dad.
0: I think the most important thing is family and, and relationship. That's paramount to me as a, as a father, and I think culture too. Unfortunately, I, I don't know as much as I should to pass on to you, or, or even from an ancestry standpoint. You and Jaden are an amazing gift. And my, my wife was just an amazing mom and best friend. That's my take on life.
1: Interviewing my dad for the first time, I will also say how interesting it is to see the dynamic shift when you interview someone close to you. Something about hearing the stories that I've heard millions of times over the years said in front of a microphone really underscored the fact that he's not only my dad, but he's also just a person figuring it out like the rest of us. And there's something really heartening about that, but also truthfully kind of scary. But I guess that's enough for me now. Let's get back to to my dad. Where were you born?
0: Montego Bay, Jamaica.
1: Do you know the parish?
0: Let me see. The parish was St. James.
1: I don't know if I ever knew that. Mm -hmm. How did you end up in Canada?
0: Well, my uh, mom had a nursing scholarship, and she immigrated when I was really little, about maybe five-ish, and sort of sponsored us when she got settled.
1: So let me go down this list and do some quick fact checking based on things i thought i knew and things that i now know might not have always been how i interpreted them so yes my dad was born in jamaica definitely knew that my grandmother came to canada on a nursing scholarship i knew my grandmother was a nurse but i didn't know that a scholarship was what brought her here and unfortunately since she's no longer here i can't ask about the particulars of that but It also does make sense in the broader context of how many women from the Caribbean came here during that period of the 60s to work in nursing, to work in domestic capacities, and my grandmother was one of them. I'd also assumed that my dad and his siblings came to Canada at the same time that my grandmother did. But hearing this story, I know that's not true. One of the things that hearing from my dad really made me wish was that I could have gotten to know her more. My grandmother passed when I was still fairly young, and it does make me sad that I can never hear more about her experience during that time. Knowing the little bit that I do know about my grandmother's story, I wanted a bit more context in regards to just how many Caribbean women came to Canada during that period in capacities similar to that of my own family's. One of the people you'll hear from later in this series, B. Kwame, wrote about many of the Caribbean women, including women in her family, women like my grandmother, whose labour helped to make Canada what it is today. In her piece, The Black Women Who Helped Build Canada, B. writes... I've been particularly interested in uncovering the stories of Caribbean women in Canadian history. What made up the medal of women who, like my own mother, left the life they knew for the hope of something better? Until the quote-unquote liberalization of immigration policy in the 1960s, Canada had racially discriminatory laws designed to prohibit non-whites from entering the country. In order to fill its post-war need for domestic labor in the 1950s, Canada began recruiting black women from the Caribbean. The West Indian domestic scheme launched in 1955 and brought thousands of women from the region to Canada. in exchange for one year of service as domestic workers. These women were granted permanent residency and eventually opportunity to send for other family members to join them in their new home. As I gathered this lost bead in the necklace of my history and identity, I thank these women for their work, their sacrifice, and their successes, and the motivation to ensure that my life reflects the fact that their efforts weren't in vain. I'll include a link to Bee's full piece in the show notes. My grandmother brought her family to Toronto's Little Italy neighborhood in the early 1960s.
0: We lived on College Street, College in Dufferin, which is a nice little area close to Dufferin Mall. A mix of Portuguese and Italian, uh, so it was a very diverse neighborhood. And the communities, especially the Italians, And the, they'd share everything. They'd garden, they'd give us tomatoes every year, they'd do prosciutto. I, I remember they'd, we'd come home, and, and like I said, the neighborhood was so good that when you came home, if your parents were not home, you could knock on your neighbor's door and go, go hang out until your parents came.
1: It only recently dawned on me that our family story has come full circle in some ways. I now live in Little Italy, likely walking some of the same streets that my family probably did when they first arrived here. But my dad says there's one key difference between the neighborhood then and now.
0: I wish we had the uh, connection that we had when we were growing up. We had something called Neighborhood Watch where we looked out for each other. I think now people don't know their neighbors anymore, which is unfortunate.
1: Thinking from his perspective, getting to know the people around, particularly as one of few Black families in the immediate area at that time, was a matter of necessity. Were there a lot of other uh, Jamaicans there at that time?
0: No. (laughs) I think there were maybe three families. There was a family up the street on, I think, Shirley Street, and then there was another family. So when we, at Dufferin Mall, we'd, we'd bump into other people from Caribbean and we'd connect, take numbers, and then we would um, keep in touch. My parents would call and they'd have little house parties where people would connect. That's how the community grew.
1: When you were growing up, would grandma speak Patois at home?
0: She would. Mm-hmm. I don't think my mom did, though. Yeah, my grandmother, she was amazing. She had a whole lot of amazing stories that she'd tell us about growing up as a little girl. And, and she had words that we we didn't understand. To this day, we, we still laugh. And she tells stories about the country. We didn't grow up in the country. We we're in the city. So it was kind of funny.
1: Do you remember any of those stories? No, not
0: really. It's been a while. I, fortunately, she passed away about maybe seven years ago. And so a lot of that, we wanted to sort of interview her. She, she, unfortunately, she had dementia. So we wanted to get a lot of our ancestry from her because we don't remember much about Jamaica and, and being there. We, we didn't get the opportunity to go back, which is kind of sad. And now she's gone. My mom's gone. So we really don't know that much about the culture.
1: So in the clip you just heard, my dad is talking about his grandmother, my great-grandmother, Ivy Headley. By the time I was old enough to know her, she was battling with dementia, so unfortunately I didn't get to know too too much about her firsthand. But hearing how much my dad looked up to her and credits her in his early life makes me wish that I did, particularly as someone who represented the closest cultural connection to Jamaica on my dad's side. And to be honest, without too many of those stories, it feels a bit like being left in the dark. Growing up, when the so what are you question would be asked, it would usually lead me to respond that my dad was born in Jamaica, often because where I grew up in North Mississauga at that time, it wasn't particularly ethnically diverse. And I knew that question was to inquire about something that was beyond us being where we were at that time. And so I would tell them, yeah, my dad was born in Jamaica. And this is true. By definition, I technically am a first generation Canadian. And there is some debate as to whether first or second generation refers to the first offspring, if you will, that are born in the nation. But for these purposes, I'm just going to stick with first generation because that's what I've always used. When people would ask me where my parents were born, I could also recall people wondering if my dad had some type of accent which he doesn't, and feeling kind of strange about the fact that he didn't. But I couldn't really articulate why. I think at that time, I didn't really know how to speak to the discomfort that can come with being someone who's born in a place that's not their own, but without the ties that people would expect you to have to your back home, wherever that is. And By comparison to other kids who were similarly classed into the first generation category, I didn't feel like that felt true to me, but I didn't know how else to reconcile with that. I wasn't the kid who was sent back to Jamaica every summer to live with their relatives. My dad didn't speak Patois that often. I mean, it comes out sometimes when he's annoyed, but by and large, he doesn't have any type of accent that would indicate that he's from somewhere else than here. And also, I think I was too young to realize that that's okay. And uh, growing up, did you think, did you kind of keep in touch with stuff that was coming up in Jamaica, or were you more kind of focused on, you know, being a teenager and doing whatever type of stuff you're doing here?
0: I think we're focused on being just here. We didn't get the opportunity to go back at all. So um, we just grew up as kids here, played, went to school, and uh, that was it. You know, I mean, the last time I was in Jamaica was in 1989.
1: And can you talk about when you when you went to Jamaica in eighty um, nine?
0: Yes, I did. I was newly married. I was I think I was only married for about a month. So we went to uh, Kingston first and spent a few days, and then went to Montego Bay and called my dad. And well, it was it was a it was a little comical because I said hi, this is Everett, and he's like who. So I thought, hmm OK, so anyway, we met that afternoon, uh, went for lunch and then went to my grandmother's for dinner. And then um, we were there for another, I think, six or seven, six days, I think, and never saw him again. <laughs> he was busy. So that was I mean, that was a little disappointing. But for me, if, I mean, I came back and I moved on because you have to move on, unfortunately. But, you know, that's, that's the way it was. It's the way it is.
1: If you could have asked something, what would you have asked, or what do you wish you kind of would have known?
0: I think one of the things I would love to have asked, and I think I tried to ask when I finally connected with him in 89, was why were we not close? What was the disconnect? And I don't, he was not very affectionate. I, my view as a dad is I think if you're going to be a dad, then kids are a blessing, and I think you should really do your best to connect with children. I, I guess, and I, I know it's another generation, I'm not sure what the dynamics of that entire relationship was but we just never had one unfortunately
1: so what my dad says about not knowing why is exactly why i wanted to do this series so much of our family story is really plagued by loss of people of connections to home, of stories, and I figured it was time to document and seek out what we do have, and maybe slow or entirely stop the cycle that leaves our family with so many question marks where answers should be. And honestly, after growing older, it wasn't until a few years ago that it dawned on me how much this must have hurt my dad, not to know the reason why he and my grandfather didn't connect, but also the realities of moving on because you have to while still wondering, did he ever have space to really grieve that relationship? But it also really made me appreciate how motivated he was to be the dad that he is to my brother and I today, especially as someone who is the sole caregiver, which honestly isn't particularly common. And I think that also shows why he appreciates our family so much. And do you feel like you had anyone who was like a father figure to you here in Canada?
0: I must say my brother was and my brother, you know, he still is. He was an amazing and he's an amazing man. Just an encouragement and has always been, always sort of had my back. I think he's been just an amazing influence in my life. I mean, I had a stepfather, but uh, that was uh, an interesting endeavor too. But my my brother is really, he's a man with a really big heart. I know when we were kids, I think he would, when I was sleeping, he'd hug me and i, I he would think I was sleeping, but I, that was something that he was very, just that I remember. So, I mean, and, and he was a very quiet man. So I used to always bug him and tease him would steal his candies and what have you. And I mean, that that sort of never changed him. He's, he's a real man. Man of integrity, and I, I must say that he's an amazing brother.
1: It's funny because I envisioned that this series would mostly focus on culture, but talking to my dad underscored the fact that for him, culture is just family plain and simple, Jamaican, Canadian, or somewhere in between. The customs and the traditions are less important to him than the people who are in his life. His perspective made me feel somehow a lot less burdened about where the complexities of my identity need to fit, but it also did still make me feel something about the depth of knowledge with regards to our family history that we may never have access to. I went to Jamaica a few years ago for the first time. And felt both excited to finally be back home. I mean, my skin was definitely loving it. And obviously the food hit. But I also felt some kind of sadness at knowing that... There were people who I was related to living somewhere on the island that I probably might never know. And it felt strange, almost as if these things were hiding in plain sight. Recently, my dad has been a lot more interested in trying to find that side of his family.
0: Well, yes, I think I'm I'm trying to connect on Facebook. Well, I don't, I'm on Facebook or any social media, but I've discovered after my father passed away that I had two sisters and another brother, which is, I'd love to meet or connect with in some way. I mean, they could sort of fill in the blanks that I've been sort of missing for all these years. I have an amazing brother and sister here in Canada. We've been close for years, so, I mean, we've always been close, which is, that's great as a family. I'd love to sort of learn more about the Haughton clan.
1: Not to sound like a Hallmark movie, but honestly, in the end, ancestry test or not, the one thing that we've always come back to as a unifying force in our family has been music. My dad plays the piano. My brother plays the drums. I play songs on Spotify. Regardless of my actual musical ability, it really is the thing that has always connected and grounded our family.
0: I mean, I don't play as much as I should or practice as much as I should not. But I'm now teaching, too. So that's uh, that's giving back, you know, and, and teaching Jaden some piano, too. Um, Melissa also played. She played piano, played saxophone, played guitar. So it's it's in, in our blood.
1: Yeah, now I just listen mostly. But, you know.
0: Mhm. Uh, you know, we, we still have a passion for music. And I think we, I don't know if we're extroverts, but we tend to love the stage and, and media in and, and that area. Jaden is really outgoing that way, too.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's super cool, and I'm grateful for all of the musical education that we've had. I think it's just in our blood, so.
0: It sure is, and still loving it, still plunking away at that piano and have keyboards all over the house and two pianos and drum sets all over the place, and <laughs> still loving that.
1: On the next episode, we'll dive into how where you live, informs your relationship to your culture specifically what happens when your family moves to the suburbs for a better quality of life what is gained but more importantly what is lost so what are you was produced written and edited by yours truly melissa houghton with music from fugue Ryan Little, Silent Partner, Katsa, Himalaya, and Dural. For more information about this series and to see links to some of the things I mentioned, you can visit my website, which is melissahaunton.com. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-H-A-U-G-H-T-O-N ncom If you're enjoying the series, please leave a review and tell your homies. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa